before there were several women, women going to the tomb of Jesus on the first day of the week with spices for his body. And they were there seeking a Jesus. But listen, not a living, victorious Jesus. They were grieving because they were seeking a Jesus that was dead. And when they arrived at the tomb, the stone was rolled away. And the Bible says that there were, suddenly there were two men, two angels that stood beside them. And being afraid, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the angel said this to them in Luke chapter 24. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Man, what a great question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Just so you know, we often do that. Now, we don't, we don't phrase it like that, but that's about what it amounts to. When we're faced with a crisis like COVID-19, a financial issue, a, a health issue, something, we talk about how big and impossible our problems are as if Jesus were still dead. Listen, it doesn't glorify God for you to fall apart like a $2 suitcase every time something bad happens. We have access to a risen Savior who has all power in heaven and earth, who overcame death, hell, and the grave. So today we need to come to a living, risen, victorious Jesus and expect resurrection power to flow into our situations. Because I don't think we really understand the magnitude of what actually took place during the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, we understand the events that happened. We understand that Jesus died on this cross, rose from the dead. But we don't realize is what Christ's death and resurrection actually means to each one of us. We don't recognize the significance of the inheritance, if you will, that was made available to us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, many people in church today shy away from talking about receiving an inheritance from God. You know, maybe in the next life, I'll have a mansion up in heaven. Maybe in the next life, I'll... but listen, it just sounds too bold for us. It sounds like we're, we're being too vain. And, and most of us recognize that we haven't done anything to deserve an inheritance. But just so you know, no one ever deserves an inheritance. See, an inheritance is given to someone, I got this on the screen for you to read with me, an inheritance is given to someone by someone without the one who is receiving it deserving of the inheritance that they receive. Let me say, let me say that again, okay, it's still there on your screen, so let me say that again for you, if it could. Can I say that again? Can you back that up, please? An inheritance is given to someone by someone without the one who is receiving it deserving of the inheritance that they receive. An inheritance is given solely on the goodness of the resources of the one who chooses to give it. So Jesus died to bring us an inheritance. And so I want to unpack for you today, if you will, kind of a theological understanding. This might be a little bit different Resurrection Sunday message than you've heard before. In fact, you're going to have to put your spiritual thinking cap on. You're going to have to kind of lean in. You're going to have to dig in. And the thing I like about the fact that we're online today is that you can go now and grab some paper. You can grab a pencil. You can write down notes. You can go back and listen to this so that you can understand the inheritance that you have in Christ Jesus. So I want to look through what Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Here's what Paul writes, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead. First of all, aren't you thankful that Christ was raised from the dead? But watch this, he dies no more. 
Now, how many of you recognize that Christ dies no more? He isn't going to die again, right? So death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Notice the phrase, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, likewise. Now, when you see a word like likewise, it means that you need to stop and think about what you just heard because likewise means in the same manner. So in the same manner, Jesus died to sin. How did Jesus die to sin? Once for all. So how are we to die to sin? Likewise, again, in the same manner, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, some Christians talk a lot like this. I'm learning to die to sin every day. But listen, and I know this is going to blow some of you away, that's not right. Because learning to die is actually negating this truth. This truth is saying that you died. You have already died. And you are to reckon yourself like Jesus died to sin once for all, in the same way you are to reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin. Now, when you are dead indeed, you are dead, right? When you're dead, you can't get any deader than you already are when you're dead. You're not going to die, future tense, you have died. When? When you surrendered your life to Christ, you died to sin because God actually placed you in Christ Jesus. Are y'all following that? Now, now the word reckon here, it, you also reckon yourself is an accounting term. It isn't to be of the opinion of. Well, I reckon she'd make somebody a fine wife. Okay, it's not that. It's not about an opinion that you have that may or not be right. It's an accounting term that's based on factual information. In other words, if you reckon your checkbook with your bank statement, which by the way you should, if you're not doing that, now would be a great time to start that. You don't have an opinion of how much money you have. You have factual information of how much money you actually have. So because you're in Christ, a Christian, a follower of Christ, you are to reckon yourself dead indeed unto sin. It's a fact that you are dead unto sin. Now that brings us to another question. How did Jesus die to sin? Did Jesus die to sin at the cross because of his character, bad character, bad behavior? No. Listen, Jesus never sinned. He did not sin in his character or in his behavior, right? Jesus died as a sinless, spotless lamb. Now, we're going somewhere, so stick with me. In the same way, we are to reckon ourselves dead unto sin. Now, we do have sin in our character and our behaviors, but it's not telling us to die in the way we think or the way that we have been taught. We are to die in the same way that Jesus died. So what did Jesus die to? We know that he didn't die to sin in his character and his behavior because, again, he had no sin. So what did Jesus die to? Catch this because this is so important. He died to sin's judgment. He died to sin's curse. He died to sin's guilt and to sin's condemnation. Now, look at verse 12. In other words, because of verse 11 going on, it says, therefore, now every time there's a therefore in the Bible, you need to know what the therefore is there for. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, 
once there is no condemnation, because you have died to all condemnation, all guilt, all penalty for sin, there's no more guilt or condemnation. Even, watch this, even when you fail. Notice I didn't say if you fail. I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you and say when you fail, there is no guilt and condemnation. When you don't receive guilt, when you don't receive condemnation, because we've died to that, that is when you have the power to not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, how can we do that? Because you are dead to sin's judgment, you're dead to sin's curse, you're dead to sin's guilt, and you're dead to sin's condemnation. That's actually what we call holiness. Because listen to this, right believing will always produce right behavior. Let's read on in verse 13. And it says, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Again, saying right behaviors always follows right believing. Believe, and there is no, believe, and there is no guilt and condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For, and the word for there means because, because you are not under the law, but you're under grace. That means if, that if you're under law, the old covenant, sin will still have dominion over you. If you still think it's do good, get good, do bad, get bad, sin will have dominion over you. But when you're under grace, sin loses its power. Listen, Grace doesn't give people a license to sin. I say this all the time. People don't even need a learning permit to sin. It empowers them to rule over sin. But some don't believe that. So Paul had to deal with this misunderstanding that, well, if you're going to preach too much grace, people are just going to go crazy. Here's what he said in the next verse. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. See, what Paul was dealing with with the people of his day was the question, are you saying, Paul, that when we're not under law, we're under grace, we can just sin? Is that what you're trying to tell us? And Paul is answering people like us who are sometimes trying to wrap our mind around the message of God's grace because it is so amazing. And he's not saying that because we're under grace that we can sin, go do whatever you want, live however you want. But what he's saying is that because we're under grace, sin will not have dominion over you. Verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or to, of obedience leading to righteousness? Now again, it's a very interesting verse, and notice the phrase, to whom, meaning it's a person. You are a slave to the person that you choose to obey. But when most people read this, they say that when you sin, you're going to die because of that, sin, that line, sin leading to death. In other words, what people think this verse tells you is don't sin because if you sin, you will die. Obey, because when you obey, you become righteous. Now, you need to understand that's a problem because if you're telling me that when you obey, you become righteous, you've just negated the finished and the completed work of Jesus. That video that we started off with today, that doesn't even begin to depict how horrible it actually was. And if you're saying that, well, look, if I do right, then I become righteous, you're negating all that. And Jesus died in vain to put us in right standing with God. You've just negated everything that Paul taught about the gospel, the good news from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 6. 
Because what did Paul say? He said that you cannot be righteous by your works. You can't be righteous by your obedience. You can't be righteous by your performance. So God sent Jesus. And it's because of Jesus' righteousness that you and I are righteous. It was Jesus' obedience that we were made righteous. Y'all with me? Y'all tracking with what I'm saying? In other words, let's just say this is the choice of sin unto death, and this is the side of obedience unto righteousness, so we have a choice. But is it referring to our sin unto death, or is it referring to our obedience unto righteousness? If you say yes, it's referring to when you sin, you die. By the same token, you have to say that when you obey, you become righteous. And if you say yes, it's about us, then again, you have just negated the gospel of Jesus Christ. That good news that Jesus died for nothing. You just negated the book of Romans where Paul has gone again to great lengths to explain from chapters 1 and 6 the good news of Jesus Christ. So listen, it's not about sin and obedience. So if it's not, we need to figure out what it's talking about. Now notice this is Romans chapter 6. So let's turn back to Romans chapter 5 to understand this better. Because most of us understand 5 comes before 6. And Paul would have understood that you've already read chapter 5 to understand chapter 6. So if we back up to Romans chapter 5, here's what it says in verse 17. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those, talking about all of us, who receive, listen, This isn't for those who say, I don't believe it and I don't receive that. But it's for those who receive. We believe and receive. For those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Notice the righteousness is a gift. It's not a reward for your performance. It's a gift of righteousness. Those who receive, watch this, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Listen, when you reign in life, sinful habits don't. When you reign in life, disease doesn't. When you reign in life, poverty doesn't because you are reigning. We reign in life by receiving, not by achieving. Man's ways are you get things by achieving. God's ways are you get things by receiving. And the more you receive, the more you reign. Receive what? The abundance of grace daily and the gift of righteousness. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that incredible? Verse 18 that says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience, who was that one man? Adam, in the Garden of Eden. Many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, talking about Jesus, many will be made righteous. So let me ask you, how were you made a sinner? By the one man, Adam's disobedience. Now that seems a bit unfair, doesn't it? I mean, you're kind of thinking like I am. If I was in the Garden of Eden and Eve said, hey, you want a bite? I'd have said, I don't think so. It seems a bit unfair. Well, let me ask you this. How were you made righteous? Is it by your obedience that makes you righteous? No, it's by the one man, Jesus' obedience. Jesus' one act of righteousness at the cross made all who receive him righteous. Today, you are righteous apart from your performance. We're not righteous by our own obedience. We are righteous by Jesus' obedience. Are you still thinking it's unfair? Kind of now a smoking deal, isn't it? Listen, Jesus blesses us and has left for us an inheritance. It's an abundant life in the life we now live, an eternal life in the life that is yet to come. 
Is that because of our behaviors? Is that because of the way that we perform? No. It's verse 19 that we just read. By one man's obedience, by Jesus, many will be made righteous. Let's go back to Romans chapter 6 again. And again, Romans 6 follows Romans 5. So Paul would have assumed that you've read Romans 5. And he says this again in verse 16. Do you not know that to whom, and again it's a person, you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So, as you go throughout your day, are you more conscious of your failures and those areas where you missed the mark? Or are you conscious in spite of your failures, in spite the fact that you've missed the mark, of your right standing, your righteousness with God. Listen, if you've said you're more conscious of your failures, and listen, you have more faith in sin than you do in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Adam brought sin that led to death. Jesus brought obedience that led to righteousness. And through his obedience, through his death and resurrection, whosoever, it's talking about every one of us, believes and receives from him and receives him is made righteous. It is that right standing with God that qualifies you for the inheritance that you have in Christ. It's that right, it's that understanding that qualifies you for every one of the promises of God. Now keep that thought in mind as we look at this next verse. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, notice that you were slaves of sin. So is that past, present, or future? It's past. Though you were slaves of sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now the word sin in both of these verses is a noun. Quick reminder for those of you that have been away from school in English for a while. What is a noun? It's a person, place, a thing. A noun is different than a verb. What is a verb? It deals with action, conduct, or performance. And here's why this is so important. Because a lot of people believe that if you're truly saved, you are set free from sin, the verb. Meaning your actions, your conduct, your behavior would never be wrong again. That if you're truly saved, you won't have wrong actions. You won't have wrong conduct or behavior. But that's not what this passage is saying. You're still going to have some wrong actions. You're still going to have some uh, in not quite right conduct or behavior. But what we have... What we have been set free from it is we've been, we've been set free from slaves to sin is the guilt and the condemnation that sin tries to bring on us. And when we were slaves to sin, no matter how good, we, good things that we did, God still saw us as sinners. But now because of the finished work of Jesus, there's been this prisoner exchange. And Jesus has freed us from slavery of sin, the noun, to where we were slaves, now we're slaves of righteousness, where even when we fail or we miss the mark, God still sees us as righteous. That's why Jesus said that he is the way. Listen, only by placing our faith and our trust in Jesus do we move from being sinners, out of fellowship, out of relationship with Almighty God, to being righteous or being in right standing in a right relationship with God. And once you understand that you didn't do one thing to become righteous, you'll understand that you can't do anything to become unrighteous. Pastor Richie, you don't, you don't know what I've done this week. You don't know how many times I blew it this week. I'll just tell you, you're in some great company with the rest of us. But you've got to stay focused on the righteousness that you have in Christ Jesus. And when you do, 
you'll start overcoming in areas that you are now being defeated. And it will cause you to see and experience the goodness of the Lord like you've never seen and experienced it before. And you'll start to believe that God actually is a really good God and that he absolutely loves to do good things in the lives of his children. Are you with me today? Is this making sense? Do you understand that God's promises today are for you? They're, they're not for you based on your behavior. They're, they're for you. There's an inheritance for you based on God's goodness, not yours. I said this in the beginning of my message. No one ever deserves an inheritance. Our inheritance with Christ is completely based on his goodness. It's based on his resources. And I, I know some of you that the only God you've ever heard all your life growing up is a God that's angry. God that's disappointed with something that you did, with it, and he's mad at you all the time, and it might be difficult for you as you're kind of trying to figure this out and wrap your mind around this, but listen, there's only one thing that we must do to receive the inheritance that God has provided for us, simply this, we believe and we receive. We believe and we receive. We believe and we receive. We believe in the finished work of Jesus and allow the death and resurrection of Jesus to be the foundation of our faith. And then we receive all of the promises that it's not based upon our works. In fact, in just a minute, we're going to receive communion today. And we're going to remind ourselves about what Christ actually did. See, when Jesus offered communion at the Last Supper, he said to do this in remembrance of me. And again, it wasn't just to remember the event that took place. Yes, we want to remember the horrible death, the horrible price that Christ paid that we might have life. But it's about remembering what he's actually provided for us, that he's provided healing for us, that he's provided an inheritance for us, that he's provided provision for us, that he's provided healing, health, wholeness, and wellness in all areas and arenas of our life.